Turn with me to um, Psalm 118. happen in public. I'm caught in this vision right now. As we were singing, we were singing the first song about coming. Let me say it, let me say it. About Jesus coming soon. Somebody else come up here and do this. And I have visions once in a while, never in public. And I can, I'm still in it. I still see it. And I, I just, bear with me. I just see Jesus riding on this horse. And, you know, I'm, I'm a cowboy. I've never seen a man ride a horse so furiously. I mean, I've never seen one run like that before. And his robes are snapping in the wind like a flag in an 80 mile an hour wind. And, but the thing is, the look on his face, I mean, there's such an intensity and an excitement. I've just never, uh, I mean, the message is not that he's coming back. Everybody knows that. The message is how eager he is to come back and how excited he is about it. And, and just, I, you can't explain something you see to people, but I'm sorry, I, bear with me. I'm sort of messed up there. Oh, he's coming back. And the thing is, he is so eager, eager to come back. I, I, this is a terrible illustration, but I remember right before I got married, I couldn't, I just counted the hours. I could not wait to, to get married. And I remember the week before just thinking, this is the slowest week in creation. I have got to get up there. And, and I, I, that's a terrible illustration. It's all I know though. Just what is in the heart of Jesus about coming back? He is so eager to come back. Uh, Jesus is coming back. I just thought I'd point that out. Lord Jesus, help me to come back down to earth now. And uh, I forgot what we're supposed to do tonight here. Um, did anybody got any word from the Lord that you'd like to come up here and preach tonight? I've, I've got it, but it, I got it all boogered up now. You don't know what boogered up is. All righty. We want to talk about worship uh, tonight. And... Uh, we want to talk about the foundation of worship. Like, why do we do it? I probably should have done this one first, but why do we do it? I don't think there's any question that people know that not everybody has these cowboy <laughs> handkerchiefs like this. Y'all. <clears throat> okay, we're back. Just a little commercial there. But why? why the foundation of worship, why do we do it? Do, do we do it is because we're commanded to? He's better than that. Do we do it out of duty like you're supposed to go to church? Why do we do it? The Bible only gives one reason for worship, just one. And it is the foundation of all of our worship. I want to look at that tonight. It's this couple places, but I like Psalm 118. The Bible says this, Psalm 118.1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord in that worship. If you were to just privately turn your heart toward him and thank him for all he'd done, would you call that worship? If we were to all get together in here and sing a song of thanksgiving, would you call that worship? Why should, all right, so the Bible tells us to worship and give thanks to the Lord, but why do we do it? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is, that's it. The foundation of all worship is the goodness of God. Why don't you look with me in Psalm 100. This is, this is sort of the, 
our foundational worship for studying, verse for studying worship is John 4, where it said the Lord is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. But this is my favorite worship psalm. And uh, this, is the, this is the call. Well, you can call this the call to worship of the Bible. Psalm 100 says this, make a joyful shout to the Lord. You think that ought to be legal in modern churches? Y'all are all the ones I got to talk to tonight. <laughs> you think that ought to be legal in modern churches for people to make joyful shouts to the Lord? I, would you call that worshiping if you were making a joyful shout to the Lord? Maybe not in the environment you grew up in, but listen, let's quit adjusting the Bible to our experience and let's start adjusting our experience to the Bible. And worship it, you know, it's joyful shouting because you're excited. Make a joyful shout unto the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. You know, you worship your way into the presence of God. Verse four says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him, bless his name. Would you call all that worship? If we were to, we try to do all that when we come in here. I, I try to do it privately when I worship. You know, you thank the Lord, you praise him, you're grateful, you, you want to get in his presence in that worship. All right, what does verse five say? For the Lord is good. Amen. I don't mean to oversimplify it, but that is the, the reason for all worship is propped up on the goodness of God and the fact that he's good. You say, well, you brought us here to tell us that tonight. We knew that. I think we need to look at the goodness of God. All right, let me ask you a question. How, how many of you know what good is? Y'all know what good is? Define it. It is the hardest word in language you'll ever define. You say, well, Brother Brian, you know, good's the opposite of bad. I know what it's the opposite of. Tell me what it is. If you look up definitions of good in dictionaries, it's, it's hilarious. I mean, I, I can define words pretty easy, but try, define, try telling, you say somebody, well, God is good. You say, okay, I believe that. Tell me what good is. We need to look in the Bible and get his definition of what he says good is. Because if good is just not bad, that doesn't make him much of a God. It's got to be more than not bad. I mean, not bad is just neutral. But what is the goodness of God? And I'm just looking at scripture tonight as the foundation of worship at what the Bible teaches as the goodness of God. Uh, I want to show you three scriptures. Matthew chapter 20 is the premier scripture, I think, on the goodness of God. And this is where he says what good is. I mean, it's got to be more than a nice neighbor who doesn't cuss and keeps his grass mowed. If you got good neighbors, yeah, they don't tear nothing up. They don't play music at night. Surely good is more than that. When you're talking about the goodness of God. So the goodness of God is defined in Matthew chapter 20. Let me abbreviate it rather than read the whole thing. Now, let's verse one, Matthew 21. The kingdom of heaven is like, so this is, Jesus is telling a parable and the whole purpose of this parable, again, he's telling it to religious people again. You ever notice how most of his parables were told to religious people? Trying to help them understand what? What was he trying to get through in most parables? You don't know what God is like, but I want you to get to know him. Well, this is another one. He said, let, let me describe it like this. There's a man who owns a vineyard. He goes out at six in the morning. He hires uh, people to come pick grapes because it's harvest time. It's a 12-hour day. He agrees to pay him a denarius, which is a day's wage, which today would be about $100, 12 hours for a migrant worker. So he, he, 12, they come in. Nine o'clock is uh, forehand, as foreman says, um, we're not going to get him in. You need more help. So he goes back to the day labor place. He says, does anybody want to work? He said, come on. But when he went back the second time, he didn't tell him what he'd pay. He did it again at 12 o'clock, did it again at three o'clock. At five o'clock, the, the hands, the foreman said, 
if we had just a few more people, we could get these grapes in today. He goes back at five o'clock, one hour for quitting, finds some guys standing. He said, why didn't y'all work today? They said, nobody hired us. He said, do you want to work? I said, yeah. He said, get in the truck. And he said, I'll, I'll, he said this, I will do right. I'll do right. So they get out there, they pick for one hour. All right, it's all done. They got all the grapes in. The whole harvest is in. And he says, okay, line them up and pay them. You know, I don't know whether they had a cash box on the tailgate of his truck or what. He said, pay them. And he said, pay the last first. Pay the shortest workers first up to the longest. All right, so the guy that worked, just worked an hour, what were they expecting? $8. So they get up and he hands them $100. He pays them $100 for working eight hours for just a, a migrant worker. You know, education or nothing. All right, the Bible said the guys in the back of the line, they see this and they're going... If they got a hundred for one, we've been out here 12. And you know the story that he went through and he finally got to the 12 hour workers. He gave them a hundred dollars. Right, they got angry with the landowner. See, they're, they're fundamentalists. They're angry with the landowner and they got mad about it. And uh, let's pick up and see what he said. Uh, verse 12, these men have only worked one hour and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden and the heat of the day. Verse 13, now verse 13 is where he begins to reveal the goodness of God. He answered one of them and said, friend, I'm, I'm not doing you wrong. How many of you would agree he did not do them wrong? Man, if you get anything from the king, he's not doing you wrong. He said, did we not agree on it? Verse 14, take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. All right, here's the great question, verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? We've got to answer that question. It was it lawful for the landowner to give his money like he wanted to give it? Yes. Who owns all the happiness in the earth? Is it legal for him to give it to whoever he wants to? Yes. Even if they don't deserve it? Who has earned heaven? Who owns heaven? Is it legal for him to open it if he wants to? Who owns all the money? Malachi says, all the silver, all the gold, the cattle. Who owns all the money? I don't own any. He owns everything. Is it legal for him to give me money that I hadn't earned? You know what he's saying here? Is it, this is not talking about this landowner now. If God owns everything, is it legal for him to give it away even when people don't deserve it? Yeah. What's the answer? Yes. Absolutely. Why are there people in India tonight, sub-Sahara Africa, whose children will go to bed starving with nothing to eat when my children are well fed. You think I deserve this? This is the goodness of God. And he said, I, I own everything. I can give anything I want. And, and so he's, he's explaining this. He goes on to say this. Is your eye evil because I am good? And then, of course, 16, he shifts out of the parable and he gives the, the great reason. Now watch these words. Is your eye evil because, what's the three words? I am good. This is a parable about the goodness of God, how he reveals what his goodness is. All right, somebody tell me what the goodness of God is in that passage. I pay 12 hours wages for one hour's work. The goodness of God is to give people things that they don't deserve. So here's the first word that the Bible teaches about goodness, generosity, undeserved generosity. Do you think I deserve to be up here tonight? Do you think I deserve to even be alive after the way I lived as a young man? Do you think I deserve the great family I've got, the, the, the home I live in, the, the joy that's in my... Do I deserve any of this? You know why I've got it all? I didn't earn a stinking thing. You know why I got it all? The Lord is good. The goodness of God. That's why I come in here and sing. It's not because I need to set an example. 
I'm too old for that. It's because the Lord is good and he's been good to me. If I wake up tomorrow morning, it won't be because I ate them, that stinking raisin bran today. It'll be because God is good. Amen. I should have been gone. If my wife is still with me, it's because God is good. If, if, if I've got something to eat, everything I have is the goodness of God. That's why all worship is founded on the goodness of God. That's why the only reason I ever sing is because he is good. That's why everything we sing about is his goodness. Now, obviously, there's a little problem here. I think this is so cute, and you'll see this over and over. It's the generosity. You will spend a lifetime getting the legalism out of your mind. You'll spend a lifetime getting the religion out of your mind that everything is earned, that if I'm good, God will be good to me. If God is good to you, it's because he is good. I had nothing to do with it. He doesn't bless people because they're good. He blesses people because he's good. It is not for, for by grace are you saved through trying harder. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. So I know that's for salvation. That's everything else too. Do you, listen, I'm a truck driver. I didn't go to seminary. I got men much smarter than me, better educated than me. They don't cuss in church. They do a much better job than I do. And they're struggling with 100 people to pay the bills. Why am I so blessed with this church? Somebody say, why, why are you? Because God is good. Everything is the pure goodness of God. That's why we sing and worship and praise Him. It's not because I'm having a good day. It's because He is good. It's not because you've been good to me. It's because He is good. That's why I can praise Him all the time. Not all my days are good. Not every situation's good. I don't always feel good, but he is always good. If I'm breathing, it's the kindness of, if I'm not in hell, God is good. It's the kindness of God. That's why we worship him and praise him. I have begun to, to he's shown me so much. I've begun to love these verses in Luke 12 that say this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Pour your life out on what God wants to give you and do in the earth. Don't, don't waste your life on sand castles that are going to get washed away. Don't waste your life on religion. Find out what God's doing in the earth and get in the middle of it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We know that these things will be added to you. What's the next verse say? Do not fear little flock. It is your father's joy to give you the kingdom. Yes. He, he has never given me anything with a frown. Everything he gives me, he gives me grinning. I, I'm going to show you that in scripture. Uh, listen, I love to give my kids. I gave my kids stuff. It's just uh, in my office. My, I've got an old, my home office. It's got all my son's firsts. His first BB gun, his first Daisy Red Rider, his first real rifle, his first uh, big rifle. All that's, that's all the first. And I remember coming back, he was, uh, he'd gotten a little older. I think he was 18 months. And I brought home his first gun. And mom said, well, I said, I just couldn't wait to you understand what I'm saying here? I didn't say, well, crap, you know, he's at the age where every daddy should give his boy a BB gun. I guess I'll have to get him one. Crap. I never did that with my children. I could not wait to get it to them. You know what that is? That's the goodness of a father. I'd, I'd, I'd have given them more if I could have. Give them too much probably. Yeah, now they're gone. I'm trying to clean the mess up. But the deal is you, you got to understand it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Where did we get this thing of a of a stodgy deity that if, you, if you'll behave, I'll give you a little something. That, that's born in hell. That's a lie. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom and everything in it, all of his goodness, and, and just pour it out. All right, and I want you to notice the evil eye. 
Here's how you know God's in this passage. Is your eye evil because I am good? The goodness of God will agitate religious people. This is a parable about how that when God is good to people, religious people get agitated. I've seen God do some wonderful things for people that were just not very good Christians and good Christians got mad about it. You know what happened right there? Listen, dear, don't forget, it's all about grace. It's all grace. One of the funniest, I've seen this happen many times. One of the funniest stories I've ever heard about this. Joyce Meyer, when she first got saved and was, was getting her life straightened out, and she learned how to believe God for things and to trust him and pray for things. And so she said, I'm, I'm praying for a mink coat. It's back, y'all don't remember this. this. Minks were big in the 70s. Women wore them. Now, I mean, you'd probably get shot by activists wearing them now. But women wore minks back then. And she said, well, I was so immature. I'm believing God for a mink coat. And she said, I wanted one so bad. And uh, she said, I had a lady live next door, went to the same church. Said she wasn't near as spiritual as I was. I, you know, she didn't, she didn't attend as regular as I did. She didn't serve on any committees. She didn't, you know, I prayed three times a day. I read my Bible every morning. She said, I, I knew God would answer my prayer. And, and, uh, and I just, uh, to be honest with you, I looked down my nose at her a little bit because she wasn't as spiritual as I was. You know, she didn't, she listened to secular music. I played Christian radio music all the time in my car. And, and she, you know how we get that mess on us that, but right there it is. She said she came up, knocked on the door one day and came in and had this big box. Said, you're not going to believe what God gave me. And said she opened that box and it was my mink coat that God gave her in that box. And she said, I did the religious thing. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. She said, I was so angry. And I just remember thinking, get her out of my house. And, and said, God, you, you gave her my coat. And you, you know what happened to her? Same thing happened right there. Is your eye evil because I am good? Because I want to give something nice to somebody that doesn't play Christian music all the time, that doesn't, you know what that is? That is the God of the Bible. He just, a lot of times I just, in my private prayers, I'll praise him and thank him when you know, we pray for our daily bread. I just, I say, I praise you and thank you that you pay 12 hours wages for one hour's work. Amen. It's sort of like the democratic platform coming up, <laughs> pay 12 hours wages for one hour. I should, I'm sorry, cut that off. <laughs> but that is the goodness. Of, there's something about a religious spirit that, that you, you didn't deserve that. Until you get to the point where you don't deserve nothing. You don't know the God of the Bible. He is good. And the foundation of our worship is the goodness of God. Listen, if what God is doing for you and what you're doing in your church isn't making religious people mad, you do not have the Jesus of the Bible. If, if, if sinners don't like it and preachers are preaching against it, something's wrong. I can show you that. Let me show you the second one, the goodness of God. Number one is his generosity, his undeserved generosity. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Golly, Luke chapter 15 is where Jesus got in trouble again, again. Anybody here have been criticized? Read the New Testament. You and Jesus are in good company. This time they're fussing because he's eating with sinners. I preached the message on this one time called the day Jesus went to Hooters and it did not go over so well with some folks. Then all these, this is the greatest verse in the Bible, one of them. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. How come sinners run from our churches if they draw near to Jesus? Do you think he's changed? If it's the real Jesus, sinners will still run to him. They'll still be attracted to him. And of course, you know, guess what happens when Jesus goes to Hooters and the ministers, Pharisees and scribes complain saying, this man is eating at Hooters. Did, now, did you notice, you said, well, Jesus has to go around sinners. He wasn't preaching to them, was he? What was he doing? Somebody say it. 
He was just enjoying being with them. Who is Jesus Christ? Did he not say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Is he not the revelation of God Almighty in the earth? Yes, I just can't. I've had people, people just got angry. I know you're trying to be cute, but don't say Jesus went to Hooters. I'm telling you, he would go. And he wouldn't just open the door and say, you're going to hell if you don't change. He would sit down and eat with them. Am I making this up? Right there it is. I mean, he did this all through the New Testament. And of course, religious people is ill about it. And you got to remember the, this great parable of the prodigal son. The only reason he told the parable, he told the parable to them. Who'd he tell it to? The people who were mad about his goodness. The fact that he would hang around such sinful people. We, we have, uh, we've drawn this Jesus that really isn't lined with the Jesus of the Bible. And we need to let the word wash our religion out of us. I heard a man say one time, in the beginning, God created man in his own image. And we've been trying to return the favor ever since. We need to let him be who he is and let this word reveal him. And this is, I'm going to put this out here. I think Jesus enjoyed being with them sinful people. I don't think he went just because he was a Baptist and had to witness. I'm not against witness, I'm not doing it. I think he just enjoyed being with the people. Even though they were sinners. I think he just enjoyed it. I know he did. Let me show you something here. So he, sp so he spoke this parable to them. Why is he even telling this parable? Because people cannot get over the fact that he enjoys people. Preachers can't get over it. And you know the one, what man having a hundred sheep, he loses one, goes after the one till he finds it. You know, well, you know that part. You know he's going after lost people. But here's the part nobody, we forget this part. And when he's found it, he kicks the hell out of it and says, you ever run again? That's it. Is that what it says? When he's found it, he does what? Lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. Here's the revelation. God is so excited about sinful people. What else can this be? Surely you don't think this is about four-legged animals and a shepherd. This, this is, Jesus says, let me, tell you, let me help you all while you don't understand why I'm sitting here enjoying these people. God is excited about people. All right, do you want to see a worship service in the Bible? This is a worship service right here. He said, uh, verse five, when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. I'm going to ask y'all a question a minute, so be thinking about it. You think God's in a good mood? Yes. I don't know how you can call rejoicing anything else. Verse six, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice, what? With me. I found my sheep, which was lost. Verse six is the worship service. Isn't that what worship is? Isn't it God calling people to come together? I am so excited about the people. I want us to all come together and just rejoice because they're mine now. That's what a worship service is. I mean, that, that's, that's the, uh, you see, I, I always thought of God as being more serious than that and, and, and really stern. Why do you think the Bible's written? The, I don't, this is not to diminish his glory at all. But I'm just telling you, if, if he were as stern as most people think he is, we'd have never got created. You don't have children to be mad at them. I had mine to enjoy them. And this is, this is a passage about the excitement of God. So the goodness of God is his excitement about who? Sometimes I want to say to fundamental people who are so screwed up with religion, I just wish you'd go sin a little bit so you could relax and get to know God. Okay, I didn't go over so good. Um, <laughs> I do say it though. And then he goes on, the, the, here, right, the goodness of God is his generosity. He just, 
It's not that he gives things people don't deserve. He really gets into it. That's what it means, good pleasure. You know, if I remember we were in the church one day and my oldest daughter, she came and she said, I need money from a class ring. And I happened to have $500 of it, so I gave her the money. And I just, I didn't, I didn't go, crap. It wasn't that I just gave it. I was thrilled to give it. I thank God that I had the money to give. Guess where I got the money from? Not the treasure. I got it from God. I thank him every day. I have very few days go by that I don't say to him when I'm praying, thank you for our daily bread, whatnot, that I don't tell him. I know this is you. I know the only reason my kids went to college is because of you. The only reason we got this home, I know this is you. I'm not smart enough to do this. This is the goodness of God. And it's just the kindness. It's not that he gives, it's that he enjoys giving. His goodness is not just that he gives. People are mad about giving sometimes. He really gets into it. Have you ever you realized the Bible said, the Lord loves a cheerful giver? Y'all believe that's in there? Second Corinthians, take my words in there. Second Corinthians 9, 8. Guess why he loves a cheerful giver? Guess. It's okay. Because he is. He, he just, he loves to give. That, that's his nature. He just loves to give. And uh, so then the joy of God, getting number, verse eight, what woman have 10 silver coins? She loses one. She lights a lamp. She searches the house carefully. She finds it. And then she, well, let's have another worship service. What is the goodness of God? Why did she go to all that trouble to find that coin? Somebody say it. It was valuable to her. What's the goodness of God? The value of a wretch like me. See, we put a lot of value on the leaders, great singers, stuff like that. What about the sorriest, no-count, drunk louse laying on a park bench tonight? God would search heaven and earth because that drunk is valuable to him. They say, well, it don't make sense. Oh, my goodness. If the goodness of God makes sense, you hadn't touched it yet. The goodness of God is scandalous. It, it just don't... The best person I know is evil compared to his goodness. The goodness of God is the value of every single person. That, that's why he searches high and low. You know, it's why, and of course, when, he, when, when he, she acts as a woman, but it's talking about God, we found it, what'd he do? Let's have another worship service. Let, let's celebrate. I found what was valuable to me. You know, when the, when, uh, that's why I love like the living free. Uh, yeah, if you've never been to a living free graduation, you've got to go. It's the greatest worship service on earth. Because here's this guy who, I mean, they were the abs, they were thrown away by their families. They'd screwed everything up. They'd stolen money from their mama and their grandma. They were the dregs of society. God picks them up. They, they go through the process. They graduate. And that, that's that parable right there. It is the good. And then God is so excited that this crackhead that should have been shot is now standing. That's the goodness of God. That's why we worship. It's the only reason we sing is because of the goodness of God. And then, of course, the great parable, prodigal son. You realize that if you, unless you're a Jew, you wouldn't understand this. Jesus set this story up in such a way that you, there's nothing you could do to hurt a Jewish father worse. I mean, there's just nothing you could do to hurt a Jewish father worse than that boy did. And uh, finally, uh, I hate to tell you all this. He didn't come home because it was the right thing to do. Came home because he was hungry. He said, well, surely he's not going to let him in. Let him in. The father went crazy. Verse 20, he had compassion. He fell on his neck. He kissed him. And did he give him a new robe? Yeah. No, you missed it. You missed it. Gave him the best robe. I'm already ill about this. I preach all the time. 
I'm faithful, I tithe, and you've given all that to him. It's remind you of somebody else in that story. And, but not only gave him the best robe, then what did he do? We are going to celebrate. Is this not a picture of me and God fellowshipping and worshiping and, and just in, and him, him enjoy? It's just that here, here, here. You came home, take the best I've got. You should focus on that verse there. Son, everything I've got is yours. Take the best I've got. And now let's celebrate. There's the third worship service. We're going to church all the time, Luke 15. The third worship service. The, the goodness of God is the, is the, it's not the mercy and grace of God. It's the extravagant, it's the, somebody should write a book called Crazy Love. It's the extravagant mercy of God. Is there a person in this room can forgive that fast like that? I doubt it, seriously. I, I might cross my arms and say, oh, okay, okay, you're forgiven. But do you think I'd give them my best car right away before they even said they'd behave? He, he gave it just, it is the immeasurable goodness of God is his extravagant mercy and grace. <laughs> there it is. Of course, guess what you're always going to see when God shows grace in the Bible? What do you always see? Some religious guy's mad about it. Old Mr. Evil Eye in there. <laughs> he goes off on him, yada, yada, yada. And, and, and I'm going to tell you something. Don't look down your nose to the elder brother. He's right. He's right. He's a lot like me and you sometimes too. I'm, I'm in, I'm, y'all ever heard like a recovering drug addict or a recovering uh, alcoholic? Well, I'm a recovering Pharisee. I'm in Pharisees Anonymous. And uh, that boy was right. But the issue with God is not right. The issue with God is goodness. It's grace. All right, I'm going to ask you a question. And this is, I aggravated some people saying this one time. Well, I'm, just look in the Bible and find out. Do you think God's in a good mood? Yes. Now think about that a minute. Because everybody has a visual. Everybody envisions him as something. Most people envision him as very, he is, he, he is high and lifted up on a throne. I think he's seated on the throne. Revelation shows us that. But the, the greatest, the greatest revelation in my life, I preached for years where I saw that now I live under the smile of grace. Not the, not the stern look of, we got to do better than this, son. Nobody can live under the stern stare of a deity who's watching you. But I can live under the smile of grace. You say, people are going to sin like that. No, they're not. They will adore him. Amen. You, you'll crawl across broken glass for the smile of grace. And, and uh, people say, well, where do you get that God's in a good mood out of that passage? Pick a verse, doc. Look with me in verse 32. All right, th this is where he's having a discussion with the uh, Baptist minister. I need to quit picking on him. And uh, he was mad because, he was mad because the father was glad. All right, verse 32, he says this. It was right that we, we, who's the we right there? Tell me the two people that make up the we right there. All right, he was mad because the father and the son were dancing and celebrating. And then the father said, it is right that we, who's the we? The father and the son, which is a picture of God and me. Is it not? Now, if I'm wrong here, tell me. It is right that we should do what? Make merry and you think God's glad. What does that say right there? that we should make Mary and be glad. Now, why is God glad? Why is he glad? Because I belong to him. He said, that's all it takes to make him glad. You just don't understand his heart. And, and you know, you, the whole passage, he said, let us make Mary and be glad. 
That's one of the greatest words in the Bible, the word glad there. It's the word, it's the word celebration. It's better translated as celebration. God's just excited about people that just, not that are getting it right. That's his business. Our Savior has to be our sanctifier. The same one that saved me has got to sanctify me. He's just excited for the day you said yes. He said, well, it don't take much to make him glad, does it? That's his goodness. That's the goodness of God. That's why we worship him because the Lord is good. He's tremendously good and he's in a good mood. Let me show you one more. This is the passage that I always, uh, gosh, I hope this don't sound bad. I, I sort of, this is my passage years ago that I saw in the Bible. And I have a, this is where I call him David in the Bible. I want you to look at me in 2 Samuel 9. I, I don't know of any passage in the Bible except the cross that is a greater picture than the good and the goodness of God and what he's really like. If you'll just believe that he's like what he says here. I don't know if you're familiar with 2 Samuel 9. This is the dear passage. This is the passage that delivered me from dead religion and fundamental religion. And I read this and the spirit of God revealed it to me and I said, if this is true, what I'm teaching is wrong and I'm going to change. Let me make an announcement. Change is a good thing. New wine can only go with a one that's willing to change. And boy, this changed my life, this passage right here. All right, David is thoroughly entrenched. He's on the throne. He's conquered the lands. He's a head man in the earth now. Verse one, King David said, is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? what did he say? He's on his throne, everything's conquered. And he's sitting there one day, looks at the servant, he said, do you suppose there's anybody, anybody left that I could... The word is hesed, loving kindness. Two great words in the Bible. In the New Testament, which is written in Greek, you've got the word agape, which is the love of God. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament is hesed or hesed. And usually it's translated loving kindness or tender mercies. And that's the word hesed. It's the great word for the love of God in the Old Testament. And he said, is there anybody out there that, that I could show the loving kindness of God to? I'm looking for somebody to be good to. And uh, the, well, the guy tells him, said, there, there's one guy left and the servant and his, his name was Saul, his name was Ziba. He came, he told him, he said, verse 30, King says, anybody left that I can show the kindness or goodness of God to? Ziba said, there's a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. He's lame in his feet. The king said, where is he? Ziba said, he, he's in the house of Makar down in Lodabar. He finds out uh, Saul had, Saul's son, uh, was the dearest friend to David. Saul, you've heard David and Jonathan. Well, Jonathan had a son named uh, Mephibosheth. And there's a tremendous picture of grace in this thing because when um, the moment a new king is installed, the old king's family immediately has to run out of the country because it was a custom in that day you killed the king's family that you preceded so they wouldn't coup against you again. So they knew we're going to be killed. So everybody just runs. The moment they hear David is king, the whole household runs. A nursemaid grabs up this little, he's just a little boy named Phibosheth. She starts running with him and she trips and falls on him. And it hurts his leg, breaks his legs bad and they never heal. So he's crippled in both legs. Said he's lame in his feet. And uh, he's living in a place called Lodibar, which, would, which is a picture of the most pathetic place to live. We were all crippled in the fall living in an ugly place. Got it. He says, that's where he's at. He said, go get him. So, you know, Lodabar is the slum. All right, the king don't send bail bondsmen after his people. You know who goes after, when the king sends somebody, 
It's, a, it's an entourage and it's impressive. They show up at this house, Makar's house, and they said, are you Mephibosheth? He is scared spitless, guess why? And they said, the king wants to see you. What's going on? I was so scared of God before I got saved because of what I'd been taught. Last thing I wanted to do was stand in front of him because yeah. I'd heard about the wrath of God. It's fine to tell people about the wrath of God. Don't forget to tell them that Jesus drank it all at the cross. Yeah. Nobody told me that. I thought he was mad. I thought he was so mad at me. And my attitude was as a young man, well, you better burn it up now because you're going to burn one day. And I, I was scared of him. Of course, he's scared spitless. He's going to get killed here. So he's drug in there. You know, they brought him into the king. And uh, David sent and brought him out. Verse 6, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David. He fell on his face, prostrated himself. David said, Mephibosheth? He answered, here's your servant. And David said to him, do not fear. I will show you the loving kindness or the hesed, the goodness for Jonathan, your father's sake, restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. You'll eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed his head and he said, who am I such a dead dog? You'd be kind to me. He gets put before the king. And the king said, you don't need to be afraid. I didn't bring you here to hurt you. I brought you here to be good to you. Matter of fact, I'm giving you everything Saul owned. Do you have any idea what the king owned? He's instantly a multi, multi-millionaire. He owns groves, vineyards, fields. He said, and he gave him 43 servants to work the fields. He said, but you're not going to need the money. You'll live in my house with me and you'll eat at my table every day. And he's going, I was told I was brought here to be killed by you. And you, here's a simple question. Did that fellow deserve that? This is the goodness of God. Guess who David is in the, in the picture? the God of creation. Guess who Mephibosheth is? You're looking at Mipho Jr. right here. All of us. This is, a, this is a passage, a parable in the Old Testament about the goodness of God. And for no reason whatsoever, he takes a fellow who's crippled in the fall, brings him to himself, blesses the fire out of him. Y'all know, know what blessed the fire out of him means. And, but what's the greatest thing he gave him? Not the money, not the service. The greatest thing he gave him. You'll sit at my table. That's what worship is. There's worship where we draw close to God. He said, I don't just want to be, give you stuff. I want you to get to know me personally. I want you to sit at the table with me. I want to talk to you. I, and he became like one of the king's sons that day. I, you, hadn't seen the good, you hadn't seen it all yet. He tells him, go take care of him. And uh, he'll eat at my table. And then he brought his family. Right, watch verse 13. Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. He ate continually at the king's table. That's where I want to live. I don't mind going to church. I love the people. I love studying the Bible, but I want to eat. I want to live in the presence of God. I want to experience God all the time. I, I just want to be, you say, well, you'll get to heaven one day. Do I have to wait? Do I have to wait to get to heaven to know him personally? I want to know him now. And here's the part, of, this is the part that blesses my heart, perhaps the greatest of all. This won't apply to y'all, but it applies to me, so bear with me. He had continued at the king's table and he was lame in both his feet. Why did they tag that on the end? He'd already told you three times and that child had told you three times he was lame. Why did he tag that on the end? The goodness of God and you still can't walk straight. I'm still struggling to get it right. I still struggle to do, to do right things. I'm, I'm still affected by the fall and will be till I see Jesus. And my not being perfect yet doesn't stop him from being good to me. 
This is the God of the Bible. This, you know what this is right here? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you notice he didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He still struggled to walk straight and God unloaded, David unloaded everything on him for no reason whatsoever. And here's the great picture. Think back with me as you read in there. What did he say is the reason that I'm being so good to you? Why did I give you so much? For Mephibosheth's sake, for Jonathan's sake. You know the kindness of our Lord Jesus that though he were rich, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. He's not good to me because I'm getting it better. He's good to me because Jesus became sin for me so I could become the righteousness of God. And what's all, what's all this? What's the goodness of God? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. The goodness of God is the basis for all we worship. All of our worship is all hinged on the kindness and goodness of God. Listen, 2 Sam 9 will always be my... I, once in a while when I... How many of you ever stumble? I'm the master of it. You know, I'm like Paul. Me and Paul, we in competition for the chief of sinners. Be the chief of sinners. I stumble. Let me tell you how you always, let me tell you how God knows I've always messed up. Did y'all hear that? Let me tell you how he knows. I'll always say Mephibosheth calling home. I just tell, I call myself Mephibosheth when I pray. You say, you, you sound to me, this sounds like greasy grace to me. Like, oh, you, you, you're lost. This is wonderful grace. Somebody should write a song, call it amazing. If we're not amazed anymore, it's not grace anymore. If it don't shock us, it's not grace. It's not even close yet. That's why all of our worship is because he's good. Do you remember the first passage we looked at in this worship, in this series on worship? Ten lepers, all ten of them healed. One came back and fell down and worshiped him with a loud voice. Why did he do that? Because of the goodness of God, because God had been good to him. That's the only reason we worship and praise him and sing is the revelation of his goodness. Now, I've shown you three passages that define the goodness of God as his unbelievable generosity, his excitement for people, his value over people, his extravagant mercy and grace, and his desire because of Jesus just to just bless you, even if you're still struggling to get it right. That's the goodness of God. There's one other passage in the Bible that is, and we're not going to look at it, I'll just tell you what it is, that reveals the goodness of God like no other passage, and you will never explain it. The cross. The cross is the goodness of God. And I, I can't even fathom this. If you have a child, you'll understand this. Do you think I'd do that to my son for you? I, I can't even begin to think what that'd be like. It's not going to happen. The cross is the ultimate revelation of the goodness of God. And that, that's why... If you're a legalist, you struggle to worship. What do you got to worship about? What do you have to sing about? It's just, I'll try to do better tomorrow. It's about the only song you can sing. <laughs> but if you're Mephibosheth like I am, I could, the worship service should go on all day long. Amen. I mean, everything I got is free. And, and that's the goodness of God and his kindness. All right, let me, I'm going to quit. Let me go a little further here with this. <clears throat> everything flows from his goodness. Everything. Let me tell you where we want to reach the place as people. We want to reach the place to where, God, if I screw up, he's going to be, we got to get over that stuff. I want to reach the place where everything I do is because of the goodness of God. Because everything flows out of his goodness. Certainly worship does. The only reason I stand in here worship him is because he's good to me. I don't have to worship. I don't have to go to church anymore. I'm retirement age. I want to worship because of the goodness of God. But listen to me. All my peace flows out of the goodness of God. 
If I'm a legalist on days when I'm doing good, I'm pretty peaceful. But on days when I screw up, I'm nervous. No, I'm at peace all the time because of the goodness of God. There's a quietness in my heart. All hope is from the goodness of God. I'm expecting life to be better and better and better. And eternity is going to be great. Guess why? You see, you must be a fine man. Got over that a long time ago. The goodness of God. And then let me tell you one more thing that always flows out of the goodness of God. This is how I know whether people know God or whether they're legalist and religious. I'll me- I'll, and I measure this in my church. I shouldn't tell this. I'm giving myself away here. I just know whether people know God or not by watching them. Not by whether they drink or not. Not by whether they cuss or not. By how they treat other people. If you don't treat other people a certain way, you don't know the goodness of God. Is that scriptural? All right, Matthew chapter 18, you have a man who owed, let's put it in today's numbers, $12 trillion, and he was a bus driver. Are you with me? Can somebody say, you ain't going to pay? There was a man who was brought before the king who owed an unpayable debt. And he said, and he said, have mercy on me. Dear ones, quit telling God you'll do better. You won't. Just say, have mercy on me. He said, have mercy on me. And listen to what the Bible said. The king was moved with compassion and forgave him all that debt. He goes back out. He finds a fellow servant who owes him $20. Takes him by the throat and says, you owe me this. And he did. Can we agree he did? And uh, he wouldn't forgive him. He held a grudge against him. King calls him back in. He said, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt. I was good to you. And you can't forgive your brother for something. You can't be good to him. That's, listen, people that have experienced the goodness of God, I know them when I'm around them. You know why? Nobody owes them nothing. You get around me, I guarantee you a person owes me a dime. I don't care what you do to me. You will never catch what I have had to pay off for me through Jesus. You don't owe me nothing. I, you know, I make a lot of people ill in my line of work. I know, I heard what you thought right there. You said, it's not your line of work, it's the way you do it. All right, well, I'll meet you in the middle there somewhere. I went into a store the other day, ran into a lady who got mad at me a few years ago. I hadn't seen her in years. And it's just, we, this was God. This was God. We're coming down a narrow aisle where there's stuff, even stocks out there and they're just, just like there's no way. And I said, how you doing? And I mean, she vacated the premises like Jack the Ripper had just showed up. And I just thought, that's so sad. I, I can't even remember what it was over. Let me tell you something. Nobody will ever owe me a dime. You're never going to get in debt to me. You know why? (laughs) You could never do anything to me. I hadn't done more to him and been forgiven of. My relationship with you flows out of the goodness of God. God's been good to me. Therefore, when you see Christians who hold a grudge, they don't know God. They don't know his goodness. They're living under a legalistic system where we still remember and keep count of wrongs. You ever experienced the goodness of God, everybody will be scotch-free in your life. God bless you. And you'll reach the point where you'll start. I saw a saying one time, maybe it was on a poster. Blessing those who curse you. Being good to those who hate you. Smiling on those who talk ugly about you. Praying for those who are nasty to you. Buying shirts for people who are ugly to you. You know what that's called? That's the goodness of God. All our relationships are propped up on that. All right, the Bible said this, Mom. See what you think about this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I've got people that about. So well, you can't just rejoice all the time. Yes, you can. It didn't say rejoice in the weather or rejoice in how you're feeling or rejoice in how people are treating you. It said rejoice in the Lord 
always. That's why we can worship day and night. Times are not always good. Who gives a rip? I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen to me? I mean, see Jesus face to face and go where you catch a fish on every catch. What's the worst thing that can happen to me? Son, we have got to get our eyes on the things that are not seen, which are eternal, and off the stinking things that are seen, which are temporary, and rejoice in the Lord always. For what reason? For what reason? Because he's always good. And he can't change. That's why this grace thing is growing more and more. That's why our worship's in his grace. One of these days, I, I, you know, Richie's a song, right? He's pretty good this time. I'm going to get him to write a song uh, and could go like Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound, you know, that saved. A, I got to tell you, this is so funny. Show you how good we've become in this generation. <clears throat> if you're old, you remember the first time Amazing Grace was written, the words have been changed. The first edition that came out that the man wrote, it said, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a worm like me. Yeah. It was worm the first time. Oh. Well, we had to upgrade that. <laughs> So in 1957 edition of the Baptist Temple came up saved a wretch. We got upgraded from a worm to a wretch. That was 1957. We did that. And you go look it up right now. In the current handle, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved someone like me. We, we've made it to someone now. The next edition will say amazing grace that saved a fine upstanding human being like me. Let's, let's just go all the way back to worm. You know, listen, grace is greater the worse I am. The darker the night, the brighter the light. The more screwed up I am, the kinder he is. That, that's why we sing. And so from now on, anytime you sing or privately, publicly, or in a group setting or give him thanks, just remember it's the goodness of God alone. We worship him because of his goodness. Lord Jesus, I, I'm standing here at the edge of the sea of the goodness of God. And just beginning to see by your spirit a little bit of the kindness in the Lord. This is just amazing that you are that excited about somebody like us. That, that you, you bled out your life for what? I know what we get out of it. We get saved. But what do you get out of it? You just get to eat with us for all of eternity. You get us out of that cross. That's all you get. And Father, I just praise you for the extravagant kindness and mercy of God. I, I don't want to be like the elder brother who says, I have worked for you. I've kept your rules and I ain't never got nothing. And then you say, everything I had was yours. You could have had it. I, Lord Jesus, I, I know a lot of people think I'm more like the prodigal than the elder. I'm thrilled. I want to be the prodigal son. I want to be the one who really has just came by grace alone and said, I have sinned, but I'm coming home. And I just worship you and praise you and thank you. I pray for every person in this room that it can, by the Holy Spirit, be embedded in their hearts that God is good and he's in a good mood. And, is, and you said it. I didn't say it. I wish to give to those who don't deserve it. Let Jesus be praised forevermore. We're going to spend all... It, the moment we see you face to face, we will say, I studied it for years, but I never knew the half. I never had any idea how kind you were, how good you were. And then we're going to spend all of eternity praising you and thanking you for your goodness. I thank you for your word that says the only reason we're saved is that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let Jesus be praised forevermore. In his precious name I pray, amen. Signing off. <laughs>